Join me today, if you would, by turning to Luke chapter 1. Still in our series, What Two Women Knew, looking at the things that Mary and Elizabeth would have stumbled upon. Turns out they were pretty sharp gals. Memorized scripture, based their lives on biblical faith as much as they could, and even as a, at very young ages were examples for us all. Luke chapter 1, if you would. Today we're talking about how awesome our God is, how he knows and understands. As always, we pray. Join me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence, for your word that we have heard in song. We thank you, Lord. You created us with gifts and abilities, with ways of connecting with each other on an emotional level through music. For all your blessings, Father, we thank you. We thank you especially for the reason behind this Advent season, the birth of your Son and our Savior Jesus, for the life that he gives us, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, strength on this earth. Thank you. And for the hope that is forever. Lord, we pray knowing that in this congregation, people struggle. Some are dealing with hurts that will not go away and de defy easy answers and solutions. We pray that you'd be with them. Some are facing illnesses and diagnoses that challenge them. Give them courage and hope. Some of us just struggle every day. We ask for your help, Father, that your spirit would nurture us and encourage us, that your word would teach us how to live, that we would learn to trust you every day. As always, Father, we pray for our first responders, our soldiers and their families. We thank you for them and their efforts and sacrifices. Use them, protect them, comfort their families. We also pray for the powerful in our culture, those who have power over us, legislators, our president and others. We pray that you would be giving them wisdom and guidance and direction. Give them a sense of humility and dependence upon you. Help us, Father, as a nation to stand together. It seems as if right now all we can do is fight about everything. Help us to get past that to agree to disagree on many things and on those essential things to stand together. We pray for peace in Ukraine, Iran and Libya, other parts of the world. Help us. And Father, we thank you. We know that every good gift is from you. Life and hope, food and clothing, this great nation. Thank you, Father. Teach us from your word. Help us to learn those lessons that can guide us in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the question today is, how big is God? If our video works, maybe it'll get you to talk about it.
big enough. Big enough for anything that I've ever faced. Um, big enough to handle any situation that I've ever seen anybody else face. I don't think you can measure that. God is just God. God is infinity and back. He's unmeasurable. Bigger than I think anyone can imagine. I think that God is greater than anything on this earth. It's kind of like when you, it's kind of like asking a person to make something and ask how big the creator of it is. It's bigger than you can imagine. It's 10 times as big as you can ever think. I don't think that's something we could quantify in any way we would really measure. I know we tend to think of him as like, oh, he's the guy up there, or he's outside, or he's over, or something, but everything that we can see as far as the cosmos and an infinitely expanding universe, he's still outside of that. He's still bigger than that and contains that within himself. Uh oh. There's, there's nothing bigger? It's interesting the discussions you have with people and with kids. I always like talking to kids because they're a font of wisdom and curiosity and all those kinds of things. I have found that if you'd listen to children, you can find out a whole lot of what's going on at their home too. It's always interesting. My grandkids are beginning to struggle with this whole concept of God. They go to church a lot. Their parents take them. I'm glad for that. And they're getting to the point where they're starting to ask questions. One of the questions my granddaughter asked me this week was, did God know that Quirinius was going to order the census that got Mary and Joseph into Bethlehem? Yeah. Well, if God knew that, does that mean God made him do that? No. Well, how does that work? And so we got into this whole idea of the sovereignty of God and how God knows things without causing him and those kinds of things. And I could see this 12-year-old mind trying to wrestle with this idea of just how big is God and is he all-powerful? Is he all-knowing? You know, she's been brought up in church, she's heard these things, but she's beginning to think and wrestle with this whole idea. Does God really know everything? Is he one God? Is he better than other gods? And so on and so forth. So she's beginning to struggle with that. Well, in our passage we're going to read today in Luke chapter 1, we're going to see that Mary, a very young girl who had grown up in a very Jewish home and memorized a lot of scripture, was beginning to quote scripture and try to figure this out. Follow along with me. I'll read in Luke chapter 1, verses 49 through 54. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arms, he has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. She was quoting scripture, of course, and at her age, 13, 14, 15, we're not sure, she was beginning to quote scripture for her own thoughts. Probably she hadn't understood it and grappled with it completely, as none of us had at age 14 or 15. But she was beginning to understand and expressed in this Magnificat that there was a God who was one God, and he was overall. And so our first idea is that God's power is overall. This idea 
that God is over all things was something that these two women had stumbled into. Now true, they were brought up in Jewish culture. And Jewish culture is like ours in so many ways. We don't believe in many gods, in one great God. We don't believe that our God is better than other gods. We believe that there is one God overall. So it's not a competition between whose God is bigger than others. We simply reject the notion that there are other gods than ours. There is just one. It's called monotheism. And whenever the Bible talks about God Almighty, it talks about the one God. So that's one of those ideas. And I, again, I, my, my frame of reference is so many times children. When I talk to my grandchildren, I use the term monotheism and their eyes glaze over because they don't know what that means. It's a big word. But when you say there's only one God, that clicks. You don't have to know anything about the other phase of people. You don't have to know those. They're interesting, good to talk about, good to read about. But there's only one God. And so you want to connect with that God. In the book of Revelation, the four creatures said this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. The image of creatures worshiping the one God. Holy and set apart and over all. And that's a very biblical idea. Mary says this in the Magnificat. Look at verse 49 again, if you would. For the mighty one has done great things, and holy is his name. And in verse 50, in his mercies upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. So there is this God who is one God. He is mighty and powerful, unlimited in his scope of intellect and all those things. And yet at the same time, gracious and kind. Now, the reason we want to focus on that gracious and kind thing is because a lot of times when people are powerful, they tend to be unkind. They tend to be kind of gruff and, and brusque and they protect themselves on those kinds of things. You know, we, we think of that stereotype of the alpha male who's big and strong and tough and, and, you know, there's not much warm and fuzzy to him. You know, if you watch the movies, the big and tough guy, I think John Wayne all the time, he's a stereotype, but there are other guys in that role. But John Wayne was always the big tough guy and he would never say I love you and he would never hug anybody. You know, that just wasn't part of the persona, was it? We have this understanding that if you're big and strong and powerful, mommy kind of cold and distant. And yet Mary understood that God was God, creator God, almighty God, and yet gracious and loving. On screen are some of the characteristics of God that she mentioned that are reflected throughout the Old Testament. All powerful. Four different times in scripture, this phrase, nothing is too difficult for thee, occurs. It was understood per God's instruction that he could do anything. He could move mountains. He could bring water from the rock. He could part the seas. He could raise those from the dead. He could give life and joy to those who had no reason for life and joy. Almighty God. And still soft and loving. Omnipotent is the word. I was going to put that up on screen, but that's a word no one uses anymore. But God is all-powerful. If you want to use that word, you can, but just means he can do anything he wants. So, if that be true, and God is a love of God is a God of love and grace, then if he can marshal that unlimited power to give us love and grace and create life, well, he can do that. 
Another one, he's everywhere. Omnipresent is the word. It means no matter where you go, God is there. Thou art there. So says the psalmist again, uh, given multiple times throughout the Old and New Testament, you cannot get away from God. When you're driving, God is there. Yes, he sees that hand gesture. He hears those words. When you're scared, he is there. When you feel most alone, God is with you. The thing about this is, he isn't with just those who love him. He is with everybody, everywhere, all the time. No matter who you are, what you've done, what you haven't done, no matter what level of evil you feel within you or inadequacy, God is there for you. Call out his name and he'll be there. The hound of heaven is one phrase I've heard it used that you can't get away from God. You know, we want to think that God is with us all the time when we need him, but we also want to think that he's not with us when we don't want him. He is with us all the time. He sees us in our sin and weakness and selfishness. He is there anyway. Omnipresent. Big word. Another thing. All-knowing, omniscient is the term. His understanding is infinite. Another passage that's given multiple times throughout the Bible. He understands everything. He is unlimited in his power. He can do things that we can't even imagine. And then finally, all-loving Grace and faith and love, which are in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God expresses this idea that he loves us all the time. You will never be in a place in your life where God doesn't love you. God will never cease to love you absolutely. As I've quoted Philip Yancey on this many times, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less. God's love for you, his commitment to your well-being is absolute. It's not determined by your actions or performance. It's not determined by his mood or anything like that. God loves you. It is a fixed thing upon which you can base your life. God is God of love and mercy and grace. John said, God is love. God is the definition of love. What is love? It is embodied in God's approach towards us. Sometimes God is warm and fuzzy. Sometimes he's harsh. Think of the best parent. Maybe not your parent, but the best parent. Strong and loving and compassionate. Sometimes very firm, a strong, strong disciplinarian. Sometimes needed. Other times giving grace and forgiveness. I grew up in Excelsior Springs, and next to our house was this great big house, which was kind of an old mansion. And a family moved in, and they were kind of a, an upper crust family. And dad was an airline pilot, and in those days it was a big job, and he made a lot of money. And he had this really nice Aston Martin sports car. Now, you may not know what that is, but some of you do. Uh, that's what James Bond drove, an Aston Martin sports car. He had that car, and it was wonderful. It was just as cool as you can imagine. And he talked about it and he loved that car. And when he wasn't at work, he was out in the garage tinkering with that Aston Martin sports car. And it was a deep blue and it was wonderful. And he would once in a while start it. He said, Kevin, come here. He'd go, boom, boom, boom. And oh, just 
made by blood sizzle. But anyway, never took me for a ride in it. And then next to that sports car, he had a couple of midget racers. He was a motorhead to the bone. Then a motorcycle, of course, and he just had all these things. And then two little boys that were just as dumb and out of control as I was. And one day, those boys were in that garage, tinkering around, and they were playing with fire. And I'm so glad I wasn't with them because the garage caught fire. And before we could do anything about it, they came and banged on our door. We called the fire station. But before anything could happen, the garage just fell. Yes, the Aston Martin sports car, the midget racers, the Triumph Bonneville, the family car. Everything was gone. We knew, those boys knew they were going to get it. That was tough. Good guy, but he was harsh. He never said anything to him. He told my dad, they suffered enough. Grace. An image of God that helps us. Strong. Can be harsh when needed. And then sometimes, grace. Mary understood this. She had heard the stories of Scripture, heard her mom and daddy talk about how God had treated his people, heard about the judgment of God in different times, and then sometimes heard those stories of God's grace that was more than unfathomable. Sometimes he just gave grace. On screen is an old song. Why don't you sing this with me? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Again, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Sometimes we need to focus on just who God is. He's awesome. I talk about cars that are awesome. Motorcycles that are awesome. You do too. But the one who is truly awesome is the one God. Full of power. Full of wisdom. Full of grace. Mary understood that. Mary shouldn't have known anything. She was, from that culture perspective, just a dumb little girl. And this is the way the men would have talked. Just a dumb youth. And yet she had stumbled into an understanding of God that some of the older guys hadn't grasped yet. Sometimes if you realize who God is, the only response that is appropriate is worship. Our God is an awesome God. Mary also understood something else. Sometimes God uses his power to bring life and hope. I don't know why, but we tend to think of God as an angry God because of the Old Testament stories. There are those stories, aren't there, where God punished the people this time and this time and this time. And there were many times that God did punish his people and rained it on judgment on them from heaven. And that's a part of God's character. But what we often forget 
is that each time there was judgment, there were decades, decades of warning. Please stop. Please repent. Please turn from your wicked ways. God didn't want to punish anybody. We tend to think that God's angry and he just wants to punish us. He takes no pleasure in that. Sometimes punishment is meted out just because we are an unrepentant people. There is a part of God that is anger. That's true. And yet again, who among us is never angry? You can be loving and gracious and kind to the bone. And once in a while, anger will come. And that's just part of life, isn't it? It's normal. And how you express that anger is, determines whether or not it's good or evil. God expressed his anger in a way that was appropriate. It was good and evil and, and gracious and kind. Meant to teach. Meant to do. On screen are some stories. Just from the Bible. Creation. We talk about creation a lot here. I think it's the key story in the Bible. Talks about everything. Who made us. Why we are like we are. How we were created in innocence. And then we chose sin. And then in the fall, the punishment. And then the prediction. There will come one. And he will crush you. Jesus. I was listening to a discussion yesterday on NPR, and it was this long discussion, it was a long, about an hour long program, talking about scientists working with genetics and those kinds of things, and they were talking about how they can fertilize an egg, a human egg, with the sperm, and they can do that in a Petri dish, and you know they do that, and they have this thing called a 14-day rule, and I'd never heard of this, pretty interesting. And it's an ethical guideline that scientists all over the world follow because of its obvious wisdom. When a human egg is fertilized in a Petri dish, it grows and flourishes for 14 days. And then after 14 days, it begins to degrade. And the scientist that was being interviewed explained, is it because the interviewer said, well, why is this? It begins to degrade. Why can't you just continue giving it nutrients and it grow? And and he said this, he goes, we're not really sure why, but he needs something from his mother. You know, we're taught that science can do everything. Scientists will almost say, they don't really need God, we can create life in a Petri dish. And they can put those parts together and get our fertilized egg, as I go. But there's something missing they're not sure why. He said it, it might be nutrients or minerals we haven't defined yet or it might be hormones or there's something missing we don't have. And I think there's that awesome God at work. We're pretty smart and we are. God has gifted us with brilliant scientists and scholars that have figured things out. And still at our best, we're missing something. See, that story of creation is a story of wonder, isn't it? That God creates. So there's something about God that's, that's greater than us. And even with computer modeling and, and all those things that we understand, there's, there's a whole lot we just don't get yet. We don't have a clue. What brought up the discussion of the 14-day rule is because it seems unethical to go on and let that fertilized egg begin to suffer. 
they normally kill it, which doesn't make sense either. But, but you know, it's just one of those conundrums that scientists find themselves in. And I did find out just this morning, reading an article about it, that they're beginning to toy with a 14-day rule because scientists now think they've got it figured out. They want to go on and see what will happen. Now, they don't know, but they're fully willing to experiment with the unborn life. So we're smart, but we're not very wise. So one of the stories of God's power and grace and love is creation. Another story is this sense of recreation. We mess up. We all want a second chance. How many times have you and I gone to those we've loved and said, I am sorry. I was wrong. And we try to rebuild those relationships and try to change our behavior and try to do things better. That's what we do. It's what good people do. It's what people that are desperate to save their relationships do. It's what people who are caught in sin do. I'm sorry. And then we try again. This is gift from God. This is how God deals with us. Every one of us approaches God the same way. God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. That's how we all get saved, isn't it? How many of you have said, okay, God, I'm such a great guy, you better save me right now. You don't do that. At that point of salvation, you recognize your sin and you go, God, will you save me, please? And he says, yes. And God offers this chance to be rebuilt. In fact, that is the story. That this creation that has fallen and tainted and, and hurt with evil and the product of our sin, that eventually God will recreate. fact is, that's the way the Bible ends, isn't it? It begins with creation and ends with recreation. A new heavens and a new earth. Our bodies recreated, living as God was intended from the beginning. Recreation. All made possible by this third story, resurrection. When people die, they're dead. And we all live with that. But not Jesus. Came back to life. Different. Complete and whole. And there's that whole story about how Jesus murdered, hung on the cross for our sin. Buried in the tomb for three days. Got up and walked out. No medicine. God's power at work resurrection. And through that power, it's a demonstration of God's absolute power over life and death. And in that power, God shows us what he can do. Which gives us hope. If God can bring Jesus back from the dead, can't he save me? Can't he help me get my life together? Can't he help us get it right? Yes. You and I have seen miracles occur. Sometimes they are fantastic headline stuff. Other times they're subtle and quiet. And no one knows about them but you. Sometimes they're natural. Sometimes they're so bizarre. It's obviously God. God does those things just because of his power at work. On screen is just a final thought. The thing about God's power is it's always at work. You don't know what he's doing. You can't. 
doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. God is at work in your life. You're here this morning thinking, oh my gosh, I'm hungry. I got to go to the bathroom. I need to get home. What am I going to do for supper? Who's going to win the game? And all those things. But you need to understand that God is working in your life to give you faith and hope. Maybe to prepare you for what is coming. To help you recover. To give you joy. And sometimes we don't even know it until after the fact. And we look back in years and go, okay, God was working. I, I can do that in my life. I'm sure you can too. I can look back in, at distinct times in my life. And there were particular people put in my life. And God used them for a very specific reason. I didn't know it at the time. Sometimes I liked them. Sometimes I did not like them. Sometimes it was enjoyable. Sometimes it was a pain. But I see God working. And I'm sure that you can do the same. God works in ways that you cannot even imagine to bring us joy and hope. So watch out for God. Sometimes I pray, God help me to see what you're doing. Because I can be just as clueless as any of you, believe me. How can you miss that? I don't know, I can do it. I've done it a lot. I've missed it. I've missed clues and cues and things that God was doing. And someone will point it out. Well, Kevin, what, isn't it possible that God was... Well, I never thought about that. And sure enough. So look in your life and see what God is doing. Pray for wisdom and discernment. Respond in worship and faith. And see what the God who gives life and joy is doing for you. Michelle's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of commitment and invitation. Why don't you stand with me? Make those decisions that God is calling you to make. Maybe it's to follow Jesus as Savior. Maybe it's to join this fellowship. Maybe it's to do something else in life. Something different. Something new. Make those decisions that allow God to work. If you'd like to make it public, you can't afford if you come forward and talk to me. Michelle? Come and lead us in closing prayer. Depart now and in fellowship of God the Father. And as you go, remember, in the goodness of God, you were born into this world. By the grace of God, you've been kept all the day long, even until this very hour. And by the love of God, fully revealed in the face of Jesus, you are being redeemed. Amen.